Just waiting for our people to join. Perfect. Hi everyone, I'm back again here on the Aesthetic Mentor Live and tonight's topic is not something that's new but it's honestly extremely important. So myself and Heather, who is the clinical lead of our entire network, nurse practitioner, spa owner, mother, superhuman, all the things, um, she'll be joining me. So we tonight are going to talk about how to assess and manage the most feared possible adverse event in our industry, which is a vascular occlusion, or we'll call it an occlusive event because there can be a debate on whether or not it's fully a, an occluded vessel or a compressed vessel. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on too. But anytime this kind of conversation is had among clinicians, something that everybody should be listening to very, very carefully because it's just like if anyone has ever read the same book a few different times or seen the same movie a few times you always take something new from that so we're hoping everyone has that experience tonight where you learn something new hi heather hi brett so excited i was just I telling know. everyone our topic and how it's super important to you know make sure that you're trying to take something different from this discussion than all of the guidelines and safety training that you've done in the past as an injector yeah absolutely. so <clears throat> Um, what Heather and I are hoping happens with this conversation is to add a different perspective while also still hammering down the important assessment and clinical steps that are required to treat an occlusion or an occlusive event that Dr. Russo has already kind of talked about during other live videos in the courses that he teaches about dermal fillers. Um, and hopefully you guys have seen that discussion elsewhere too, because we're always learning, we're always searching for new trainings. So what we really want to make sure that we kind of talk about slightly differently without disrespecting anatomy, we're not trying to belittle a potentially very serious event, of course, in our industry, but we want to take the panic and the stigma completely out of this situation, out of the discussion, because it's really just, it's not necessary and it clouds our judgment when you panic Truly, the only good that can come out of that is none. I, I really can't think of any. I haven't experienced any. Um, so we want to keep ourselves level-headed. And we really want to make sure that we're doing what, as nurses, physicians, dentists, PAs, we were trained to do. We were trained to have a problem and then go in and handle it. This is no different. So, Heather, if you want to kind of talk about the assessment and the clinical steps that are most appropriate... Sorry, there's my cat running across the screen. Um, yeah, I think uh, she wants to join as well. Um, Bring her I, in. Uh, yeah, her, yeah, she's well, she'll freak everyone out. Um, I think that it's important to have a healthy respect for fillers. They are a different animal than than Botox and and peels and PRP and a lot of the other things that we do in the industry. Um, and I think part of that is having a really good understanding of facial anatomy and an understanding of how to react in the case of emergency. Because in medicine, we're trained to act under pressure, but a lot of us are doing this on our own. So we may be in our own place if this were to happen and panicking 
is almost going to be second nature, but you have to stay cool in the moment so that you can act appropriately. Um, and I think part of something that I've sort of adapted into my practice at Deluxe Bar, I'm one of the owners of Deluxe Bar, um, is that when a patient comes in for a consult for fillers, whether it be lips, cheeks, jawline, whatever, I talk, I go over the consent with them and I talk to them about the risk. And I talk to them about, you know, people sign these consents and they, half of them have no idea what they're signing and saying, this is a problem. I've been highly trained. I'm aware of safe, of, of safe areas. I have great technique, um, but this can happen. And if it does, I have the medications that are available to reverse it. You don't want to be talking about that after the fact that something has happened. I think it sets a good precedent to your client that you're confident in your knowledge. Um, so I think that's uh, something that if anybody takes away that when they're signing those consent forms, even consider signing a Hylinex form at the same time so that it's all said and done. You don't have to worry about it. And I think sometimes that can freak people out. And they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. And it's like, well, they need to be aware that it's a possibility. It's rare, but that you're confident in your skills should that happen. Um, so, cause I genuinely, like I get calls from people in the network and they have this or that, and it's very rare that someone is cool as a cucumber. Most often it's someone who's like, I need you to walk me through this and they, they handle it well. Um, so we all know signs of an arterial occlusion with any sort of a filler, meaning that that filler has gone to where an artery is, is, um, it's going to be immediate. It's going to be blanching. Um, often there's going to be pain. There's going to be a delayed refill. Um, um, sometimes coolness to the extremities too. But then on the other hand, there's also venous, which is, um, can happen a little, uh, a little bit later after the patient has left where they're going to have potentially some modeling of the skin, um, some bruising, duskness, and sometimes even later than that, they can actually have almost like vesicular lesions that, um, pop up. And these are all things that you need to discuss with your patients when they are in the office with you. When, when they leave after you've done any sort of an injection, it is my unsolicited advice to say to them, these are things that you need to look for. If that happens, I want you to call me right away. Um, you know, doing the- most important, Heather, just yeah. to kind of recap what she's just saying, pain and discoloration of the skin whether that's at the exact site that you injected or elsewhere. Either right. way, you want to know those are the two most important things that you want to know and make sure that they know and that they know how to assess that too. If people are not clinical, they don't know how to perform a cap refill. They've right. never heard that. Yeah. So exactly kind of what Heather's saying, these are the things that you need to have them report to you. Make sure they're aware how to assess it themselves from a non-clinical point. Right. Yeah. Pain, uh, pain and refill are, in my opinion, in terms of any sort of vascular occlusion are going to be your two most telling signs. If there is a delayed refill, when, when in doubt, dissolve. If there is pain with, with the capillary refill delayed, it's time to get in there. But, um, you know, and, and to Britt's point, a lot of times these people don't know what a capillary refill is. They don't know what blanching is. And it's something that you can teach them. It's a teachable moment that takes two seconds. You can press on your arm and say, I'm going to hold for three seconds hard and then see how that the color comes back. And you can teach them those things. It takes two seconds. And I think they really appreciate that sort of extra um, care that you provide before they leave. And um, we can sleep tight knowing that if we ask yes. them that question, they'll know how to give us an appropriate answer. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, and it's, it's one of those things that 
I don't, I mean, especially when you're newer injector and if you have a bruise or anything like that, when you, you know, let's say someone comes in, they get their lips done and you have a bruise, checking that refill on your own and the, you know, even doing a video of it to sort of reassure yourself. And we should always be following up with that patient the next day, that evening, the next morning. How are you feeling? Any pain? Would you, can you send me pictures? Can I see you in person? Follow up is always important and critical. Right. So for people who are just joining, we're going to just talk quickly so you guys know exactly where we are, what we're talking about and why. We're talking about an occlusion or an occlusive event after an injection with hyaluronic acid dermal filler. We're talking about how we're able to assess that, how we manage it, how we then provide patient education so that patients are able to assess for us because they're our eyes and ears while they're at home or they're no longer with us in the practice. So we're trying to make sure that this is something that everybody feels comfortable with because unfortunately it's a numbers game. There is not one injector on this earth that could ever look at a patient and say, it's a not possible. Yes, this is a risk, but I am so experienced. I'm so knowledgeable. I've been doing this forever. Nobody can tell you that it's impossible. So it's important that we all recognize this is a thing that unfortunately is in our future, whether it's a patient of ours or another provider in our practice, a friend injector of ours, a patient experienced this elsewhere and then came to us, we need to know how to talk about this, how to manage it, and how to take the panic and the stigma out of the conversation altogether. Heather, you had a recent example that was a little bit strange, right? Do you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, so we had... Um... Uh, someone in our uh, someone in our network had called because they had received a call from one of their clients and a very experienced uh, nurse that's been she's been injecting far longer than I have, um, and the patient had called her a few days later asking for a prescription for Valtrex for cold sores because she thought she had some cold sores that were um, presenting on on her lip and the nurse was, you know, bright enough to say, you know what, I really think I should see you and make sure that that's really what's going on. And it was actually vesicular lesions from an occlusion. It wasn't cold sores. Um, and there was you know, purple modeling and things like that on the top of the lip. So um, she ended up, she acted right then she dissolved. It had been a few days since the person had been injected. Um, and you know, the type of filler that you're using also plays a role in the amount of Hylinex, Volbella, which is a much more forgiving, watery filler, is going to be much easier to dissolve than something with like a high G prime, like a Voluma. Um, in this case, it was um, an ultra, which is going to be um, a little bit more difficult to dissolve. And uh, she ended up getting dissolved, was followed up with Dr. Russo a few days later. Um, but it's one of those things where the nurse understood that maybe what the patient thought was going on might be something different. And thank God she did was able to get her in and get seen because you risk necrosis of the area. You risk losing whatever it is it's occluding. I mean, that does ha you see it on, you see it on the internet, you see it on Facebook. It does happen. Right. So super experienced injector. Yeah. Had a lot of experience, not only injecting, but also had enough to say, Hey, I want to see you. Yeah. I'm not going to just trust that this is something that's going to require Valtrex and then be resolved after that. Even if the patient says, hey, I've had several cold sores in my life. I know that's what this is. You still owe it to them to make sure to see it. Because one thing that we can probably all agree on is a picture always looks worse 
than mm -hmm. in real life. So, you know, lighting is also a factor. It may not be. So we don't want to have any assumption either way. The picture looks better than real life, looks worse, whatever. It's not worth leaving and sitting and then to kind of have necrosis, which is far more serious, of course, after the right. fact. So right, absolutely, yeah. Kudos to the nurse for saying, I want to see you and not just like, oh, okay, sure, you know a cold sore. You've had yeah. one, you know what it looks like, here you go. Yeah, and she was really great in the follow-up with the patient and then um, in communicating with us too, how kind of the patient was progressing and everything like that. So um, she really, it was great. It was a really great teamwork to get the patient um, what she needed to get better. So I have to, it was handled very well. Awesome. So there's and a question, you, Heather. Yep. Um, so someone is asking, what's the longest time frame that you have seen of an occlusion go before treatment? I don't know. I would say. A couple of days? Would, yeah, I would say. But within a few days, there's going to be skin changes and, and potentially some cellular death and things like that in that area. So if it's going three, four days, it's late. Uh, yeah. So I think we have had a few situations where it's been maybe over 48 hours, maybe closer mm -hmm. to the three-day mark. But I don't think we've had any that have gone longer than that do you no I think that mm -hmm. what can happen too is I mean I'm definitely guilty of this with the dentist for example sometimes people don't go until oh this is really excruciating there's a big problem I know I'm forced to deal with it right but with this kind of situation patients may let it linger for a little while and not really tell you because the signs could be you know mistaken for normal signs after an injection soreness bruising mm -hmm. If the bruise is big enough or, you know, deep enough, maybe it can then look like it's spreading outside of the lip, for example, even though it's not an aggressive right. event. Right. But those things are definitely normal <laughs> that can happen after filler. So we want to make sure that in our education, we're telling people, listen, this is a pain that you cannot ignore. Your favorite plan, your favorite restaurant, I'm going to hand you a blank check and do whatever you want with it. Those types of things are not going to excite this patient. They are in too much pain. It's like, it's not distractible. Um, and that's where I kind of like to tailor my post care where I'm like, you're going to be sore. Mm -hmm. It's probably not going to be fun to push on it too hard, but you'll know. And that's a horrible description, but you'll just know there will be something inside you that says this is not what she meant by sore. And that is when they need to contact you ASAP. Yeah, I tend to say things like, especially like I've done cheeks, like it's going to feel a little tight almost, especially when you smile. Um, it, you might feel a little bit of pressure in through there, but I always say that it shouldn't be pain that would keep you up. Like anything that's going to keep you from taking a nap or keep you from sleeping, um, or really anything in question, we, we want to, we want to see, or we want to make sure that everything's okay. And, um, so that I sort of say it along the same lines. I'm like, you're going to feel like clocked you a little bit there, but if, if it's keeping you up, you need to call me. Right. Well, on this, you know, kind of leading into, a recent situation that I saw here, which kind of like yours, it didn't necessarily present in the exact way that we would expect where it was an immediate blanching or really dark with cap refill that's too quick. It was, it, you know, it was, it was a crazy presentation. And so I'll talk a little bit about this now. Yeah. What happened was, I guess this patient was injected on a Thursday afternoon and 
later that evening, kind of around maybe 6, 6.30, she ended up calling us here at the, the Big Yellow House Dr. Russo's practice and saying, hey, you know, I've gotten filler before and this is just something that's never happened. I feel like my nose looks blotchy. So immediately I'm asking her, do you have any pain? Um, can you send us pictures? Explained her explained to her how she would perform a cap refill test, asked her to send us videos of herself doing that. And she was like, no, I have no pain, none, zero. And I was like, really? Okay. Um, asked her then again, you know, send us some pictures, whatever. So I'm waiting for her to do so. And as she's doing that, I'm asking her again in different language, maybe, hey, so do you have just the normal soreness after an injection? Oh yeah, really nothing, honestly, no pain. So, you know, three or four different times I went through this with her. She denied, 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 no pain at all. But her nose, then the pictures come through and the cap refill video comes through, definitely blotchy. Mm. Um, and this patient says that she was injected in the nasal labial folds and it was with velour. So I said to her, okay, it makes me feel really good that you're telling me you're not in any pain. So if that changes, please, please, please call me and let me know. Because in that case, I would definitely want to see you as soon as I possibly could. But, you know, the blotchiness is kind of odd. So, I, you know, let's see you tomorrow. I don't want to trust the video or the picture and the lighting. So I, let's see you tomorrow. She comes in the next day with almost a totally different story, kind of. So I asked her, so what's going on? How are you? She goes, the, the pain is unbearable. It's excruciating. It kept me up all night. I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? I, what changed since we talked? Why didn't you call me? What's going on? Oh, I have no pain at my nose. And that's where the blotchiness is. I have pain over here. So that, you know, taught me a lot. Be very specific with your questioning. Right. Because she didn't necessarily understand what I was asking. And I could have potentially missed something big mm -hmm. there. So even if we think that we're being very obvious, be as specific as possible. Absolutely. So I definitely learned that from this recent um, situation. Yeah. But she, first of all, is the nicest, nicest woman because she then comes in and is crying upset because she loves the result. She's like, this is so beautiful. I, I can't believe yeah. it. I'm so sad. I don't want to get rid of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, as I'm trying to assess, she's not letting me touch it the right side of her nasal labial fold. The left side, she was like pushing around, no problem, normal post-injection soreness. But the right side, she would not let me near her, wouldn't let me touch it. So I'm like, okay, this level of pain and the blotchiness, which looks a little bit worse today than yesterday, she says. Um, I go, we got to take it out. Why risk this? Why, why mess around? Let's dissolve it. And, you know, we'll, we'll make sure everything is as beautiful as now afterwards, but let's take it out. So right. this is now a good kind of reminder of how do we do this? So we've decided we have an event that we don't love. We don't feel comfortable with this. We want to dissolve the filler. How are we going to do that? So what I did in this case was I drew up <laughs> just 0.5 cc's of the Hylinex. And then I drew up 0.2 cc's of 1% lidocaine. And I injected that in the area that she was having so much pain, she wouldn't let me touch it. So in this case, it was right nasal labial fold. And I was aiming to inject as if I were injecting the filler, but slightly deeper. 
because I'm thinking, okay, if I have this issue, <laughs> I want to be injecting the antidote, this reversal agent in the plane that I'm actively trying to avoid while I'm injecting the filler. So I was injecting in a fan-like pattern, exactly how I would have imagined the filler was placed when it was done that um, previous day. So, you know, within seconds, she's like, oh yeah, the pressure is gone, the pain is gone. The pain which that was so traveling up into my eyeball, which she tells me afterwards, but thank God, because that's, you know, it's so scary to hear. But she's like, this is, oh yeah, I still feel <laughs> a little bit, most of it's gone. So we wait five minutes, we massage a little bit. The nose is still blotchy, but the pain has subsided. I did right. another 0.5 cc, so now we're at one vial total. And I injected that in the same fashion. And she was like, yeah, the pain is gone. It's just a little bit of soreness now. The blotchiness is still there. So this is a key point that actually Dr. Russo has talked a lot about with me here at the office, which, and I'm sure he said it in videos too. He'd said it recently actually in the lip video, but 17, 20 vials of Hylinex is inappropriate. Yeah. It is just, it is not something that we need to just be flooding this area like crazy, willy nilly, poking the patient a million times. Um, we really need to kind of hone in and kind of tighten up our assessment skills right. and really be targeting a specific area only instead of adding to the hysteria with all these vials and all this extra bruising. It's just, it's something that we need to make sure that we're kind of handling a little bit better. But one vial, yeah. that was it. And then we wanted to see her again the next day just to be sure that everything was all set. That skin discoloration is gonna be there for a little while because it needs time to heal. But the pain was gone. Um, I do have a picture actually, if we're gonna share that. Um, no, I don't, okay. I don't know how to share <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, wait. wait, really? I've re we practiced. Girl, technology is not my thing, so <clears throat> I can't help you here. No, okay, so maybe we'll just post it on the Aesthetic Mentor page afterwards, or we can, when we add the video in, we can put it maybe. Um, but what it shows is the blotchiness on her nose. And then after we injected the Hylinex, the blotchiness is significantly better, but still there. Mm -hmm. And I think where people might be missing something is they're thinking that they're going to inject this Hylinex until the skin tone is normal. But that's, it's just not going to happen. Plus, you're going to have bruising and swelling from the Hylinex in and of itself. So that is, you know, Hylinex is not a fun thing to inject. It doesn't feel good in any way, shape, or form. Even with the lidocaine, it's not fun. Um, mm -hmm. I think that Hylinex is something that you need to have a lot of on hand. If you are injecting fillers every six months, you need to be re-upping, you know, depending on the volume that you're doing, mm -hmm. you need to have a decent amount of Hylinex in your fridge. Um and the Hylinex does expire. I personally, we keep the expired Hylinex because you, you really never know. Um, I'd rather have some expired and have way too much Hylinex on my hands and then a year later throw everything out than, um, than not have any. Um, so every six months we purchase big amounts of Hylinex to make sure that everything that we have is, is ready to use, not expired, but I certainly, don't throw them out. Just tuck them in the back of the fridge. You never know. Um, I also think that in, we don't want to, um, I always too, like if someone's on the way and let's say they're considering that they might have this massage and a warm mm -hmm. compress will do wonders too. 
Um, sometimes we're like, not totally sure. Maybe it's a little pale. Maybe it's a little delayed. And heat can sort of help dilate everything and, and massaging it. If there is some little part of the vessel that's being um, obstructed, you can kind of mm -hmm. improve that just with that. So I think never ruling that out. I think sometimes people move to ice right away if they've got a bruise or they're hurt. But if it's in a case of occlusion, you don't mm -hmm. want to do anything that's going to constrict that more. So we want to do the opposite and do heat. Um, so that's something to think about. But someone is asking, can this happen in areas other than the face? Which I, I mean, yeah. Any, but I, I'm injecting fillers in the face. So, um, but it could anywhere that they're anywhere that you're inject anywhere that you're injecting filler. If you mm. inject in the wrong plane in the wrong place, and you, it's really again another um, respect for uh, the facial anatomy and understanding. You know mm. if if the facial artery is coming up through here and it's going to branch off into the labial, the inferior, the, you know, having an understanding of, okay, well, I, I, maybe I have an occlusion here. So that's why there's paleness up and through, you know, um, mm -hmm. so kind of having an understanding there, but so in theory, yeah, good. Yeah. There's another question here, Heather. It's asking if we can talk briefly about different presentations between compression occlusion versus an arterial and a venous occlusion, which so I actually was talking to Dr. Russo earlier today about this. So he was telling me that the literature doesn't really support the idea of a compression of a vessel causing an occlusion. But we were talking about this, this case with the woman's nose and the nasolabial fold. And we're wondering if it was potentially a compression versus a blockage mm -hmm. intraarterially because... Um, and I, I think I might have forgot to say this. When she was showing us her cap refill, it was within normal limits. Honestly, like the area that she was pressing, it was her nose, it was the nasolabial folds, totally consistent with the rest of her skin tone. And the capillary refill was fairly normal. I say fairly because obviously I can't say for sure having it through a video. But then when I saw her the next day, it looked pretty good. So it wasn't too slow. It wasn't too fast. Maybe the tiniest drop of an area was slightly sluggish, but for the major part, it looked within normal limits. So, you know, we're just, we're wondering what could have happened slightly differently. Was it a smaller branch? Was it, you know, something just didn't show us the normal presentation. So that was where we were talking about her pain really kind of honing in on our language, making sure that people understand right. completely what we're asking them um, and making sure that you're seeing them because how much important info did I get when I saw her that she did not give me over the phone? Um, right. Arguably the most important about the pain. So um, yeah, Dr. Russo is, hi, Dr. Russo. He's giving us some pearls here. So he's, he's saying that the repair can take this, you know, is directly correlated to the amount of tissue damage. So how long will this particular patient's nose be blotchy for can be directly related to the amount of necrosis that she may be experiencing now as a result of that treatment. Um, and he's also saying that as long as capillary refill is, you know, now appropriate, you're okay then to stop with your Hylinex injections and watch and wait. So capillary refill and pain being the two most important signs, symptoms that we want to be assessing, not necessarily the skin discoloration when it comes to have we successfully managed this or do we need to continue injecting Hylinex? Great. So um, 
Another thing that I was thinking about when it comes to this whole idea of this is the scariest potential risk that we have in our industry and the hysteria around it and how scary it can be is if we step back and think about this for a second, we are all trained medical professionals. That's how we're able to inject this product. And likely we've worked in other settings. And we have, if we kind of think about if someone asked us what's the worst possible thing that can happen in your setting, what, or even not medical, what's the worst possible thing that can happen? If someone said, well, it's, you know, this can happen, but all we'd have to do is a capillary refill test and inject the antidote. And then that's it. It's fixed. Like imagine if every worst case scenario had a simple solution like that. I say simple compared to, you know, other things. Um, it seems kind of crazy how scared we get of this, right? When we think about it like that. So the most important things that we need to do is really know that we can assess capillary refill. We can assess pain and we have the products here and we can provide patient education so that we all know that they're able to give us the correct information so that we can help them. Seems pretty easy compared right. to other complications that we can have. So we really wanted just everyone to make sure that we can think about this in a more calm manner because it's manageable and fairly easily compared to other things we're used to and trained to deal with. And this is a situation where you want to be in really good communication with your medical director, um, whoever it may be. It's something that a second set of eyes um, to see follow up the next day is really, really important. Um, not only for patient outcome, but for patient um patient experience and um, them really feeling like you mm -hmm. have held their hand and walked them through this process, walked them through this process. So I really feel like that is where um, having a very experienced medical director who is available um, for consults and to see them and, and knows kind of what to do in that scenario. I think mm -hmm. that you can't even put a price on, you know, if you're a solo injector and you don't have a buddy in the area, you want, you, you need the support and um, it's a learning opportunity and um, it's something that you need to take a step back and say, okay, you know, a week later when the anxiety from everything happened, cause you're not going to sleep that night, you're going to have a pit in your stomach and you're going to be upset mm -hmm. and, and probably have a good cry and a big glass, like a glass of wine. I get it. Um, mm -hmm. But when that sort of initial anxiety has improved, you really need to take a step back and say, okay, what happened? What did I do wrong? What technique? Was it just this patient's anatomy is totally different? Did I not aspirate? Was I not on the bone? Was I too deep? Um, and really try to figure it out so that it doesn't happen again. But it is a little bit of a, a numbers game. If you've been injecting for 30 years and you're injecting all day, every day, like unfortunately at some point there'll be a statistic, but if you're aware of how to treat it, it doesn't need to be this um, terrible outcome for the patient. But certainly I think anytime you have your first even possibility, it's, it's very, very nerve wracking. But when you have the great support of a great team, it's something that's very manageable. Yeah. And it's, yeah, like Heather said, if you do not feel comfortable managing this potential adverse event, then you should probably not be injecting any filler until you are comfortable with it. And I know it's easy for me to say, oh, just feel comfortable with it. But it's something that even if you haven't had to experience yet, 
you can very much talk yourself through these steps and make sure that you're comfortable with the cap refill test, make sure you're comfortable assessing a patient's pain and all of those things that you are able to kind of simulate for yourself um, so that when the time does come, which unfortunately it probably will, um, you, you're more comfortable with what is that step? What is my guideline and what products do I need? And I have them here. Um, we have some a lot of good questions. So another question here is, when patients plan on traveling, how many days do you suggest staying local post filler just in case an occlusion might be suspected? What do you tell Ooh, patients? That's a great question. That's a really great question. That's a good question. I, uh, I will not inject filler if they're going to be traveling within the week because I just feel like most of the time, I mean, if it's arterial, you're going to see it right away. Venous, mm -hmm. even compression, you're going to see in a few days following. Um, mm -hmm. And that, I think a week out, you're, you're fine. I mean, you can still have delayed inflammatory reactions and things like that months down the line, but that's a totally different scenario. Um, so if someone came to me and they said, oh, I'm going to Vegas for a girl's trip, in two days, like, well, you're not, you're not, you're not getting your lunch done today because you right. don't really know. And uh, you're trusting whoever would be in that area to act if needed be. So um, I'm a week. I I'm agree. I think I, I tend to say the same. And I'll also tell them if I'm going on vacation, I will, I will not inject somebody with filler unless I know that I will personally be around or I have delegated another right. nurse inspector or the medical director to be able to kind of be there for me in yeah, the event absolutely. that this ever would happen. So it's, it's on both sides. Either the patient shouldn't be leaving or you shouldn't be leaving unless you have somebody that you trust to be able to kind of manage this for you if that ever was the case. Yeah, it's funny because like I, I remember back in my old MGH days that you know they always say that nursing is a twenty-four hour job, so don't feel like you have to get everything done during the day shift or everything done during the evening shift. And it's kind of it's almost the opposite in aesthetics. It is a twenty-four hour job when you are running mm -hmm. your own show and you're running your own business and those clients, um, you know, you have to be able to respond to those events and and that's you know it's it's a sometimes a great thing about owning your own business. And sometimes it can be a negative that you're always essentially on call for that, but you can't just kind of abandon them. So you, you have to have appropriate follow-up if you're going to be out of town, just like if your medical director's out of town, they have to have somebody that's on for backup because um, you don't want to ever be accused of a patient abandonment, which is a real thing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's almost like a shift from what we were taught you know, in the glory days. Right. Um, another question here is asking, how many days do you consider to be critical to develop a vascular occlusion? Um, I would say, well, I'll, I think the question might be more asking, you know, how many days do you have to treat it before things go really, really south? At least that's how I read the question. Yeah. Um, I would say you want to be assessing and potentially treating if you have to within, I mean, immediately, but yeah. I would say within 24 hours, ideally uh, 12 to 24, because like Dr. Russo kind of typed earlier into us, the amount of tissue necrosis can be directly related to how long it takes to heal. So we really want to limit the damage as much as possible. So right. you want to see them, if it's not right that night, it's immediately the next morning. So as soon as you possibly can. 
Yeah, I yeah, I would agree. I think that the it's almost like uh, the faster you act, the better tissue is almost like think of almost like uh, an ischemic stroke when you have to act fast as you're talking about tissue death, you almost want to yeah. think of it the same way that the tissue was dying. So the sooner that you're able to breathe oxygen to it by dissolving the filler mm -hmm. that's obstructing oxygenation is, is sort of how I think of it. Um, sometimes right. I describe it to patients like almost when they have a tourniquet on and if, if you forget about it and you leave it within 15 mm -hmm. minutes, like that arm is going to hurt. It's sort of the same thing. If it's not getting good blood supply, it's going to hurt. And the faster you can fix the, the um, problem, the easier yeah. the, you know, so I would say the fastest you can, we've had mm -hmm. in, in the network in, you know, over the five years that I've been with MAA, um, we've had people that it's, it's been a few days and they still, you know, few, let's say like 48 hours before they were treated for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, end up getting PRP and things like that afterwards and really did end up being okay. I think there's, I think Dr. Russo has one example of um, an occlusion that was before both of our time where it was a lip occlusion and the, the, I don't think that there was very good communication between the nurse and the patient and she didn't end up having tissue, like lip um, tissue loss and end up needing to have to get implants and reconstructive surgery and things like that. So it can happen. Um, but that was in a situation where, um, really probably that nurse shouldn't have been injecting. Yeah. Well, um, there's, there's another good question too, kind of about how do we maybe assess? So this question is asking, do you recommend having an ultrasound machine at the spa to help manage or avoid? I have thoughts about this. So yeah. I personally have never used one of those. I haven't either. Um, but I kind of feel like, could that help you if you know how to use it? And right. if you know how to read it, which right. is a whole separate thing. So right. I, I think I'm not going to say no, it's, it's an awful idea. Of course not. But that could just cause other complications because that's a whole nother beast that you need to know how to use and read appropriately. Otherwise, it's not going to help you. Right. So I, I, we don't want to rely on another piece of technology and forget our own assessment skills. You know, you want to assess the refill, assess the pain. Like it's almost getting back to the basics versus relying on I mean, I am not a technology person, embarrassingly so. Um, and I, I would never want to lose my, I would never want to delay treatment or lose my skills because I was relying on that. So I think that there, if there were situations that you were having difficulty finding where that site was, but I, mm -hmm. I would, I, I personally would never say no, but I'm not running out to get it either. Yeah. Um. So uh, we blabbed for a long time, Heather. It's been... Yay. Girl, it's been a great, all been a night, great conversation. <laughs> um, I think there is only one more question. So this is asking, did patients that were treated for occlusions have any lasting damage? So in the vesicular lesions lip example you gave, what's the follow-up? Do you know how that patient's now doing and what's the situation? I, to be honest, I don't know. We're a few months out and I have not heard anything um, on mm -hmm. that one. Um, I do know the one that was before our time, she ended up needing to have surgery. I would say that the majority, I would say that most of our patients, because of the support of the network and because we have great uh, people, do fine. They don't, as long as they're treated and they treat quickly, things are fine. So I don't think that we've had any really bad long-term effects. 
um, outside of that one that was, I want to say like a decade ago, but I do not know specifically on the one that had the vesicular lesions. I'm not, to be honest, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think most of our, most of the occlusions that we've had in the network have resolved fine. Yeah. Um, similar for the patient that I talked about, she is, you know, being monitored as we speak. We're just continuing to monitor. That was fairly recent. So the treatment, um, I believe, was complete. Dr. Russo, I ran it by him. He believes that the, the management itself is complete other than a follow-up. So yep. her pain is gone. Um, the blotchiness is definitely improved, but mildly there. So we're going to just keep in contact with her and see that kind of skin tone correct slowly over time, get better and better. Um, so for her, I guess, to be determined, but so far things are looking good because if you catch it in time, likely that's the trajectory. It'll Absolutely. take some time yeah. to get back to normal, but you will. And that's yep. totally fine. And I think sometimes people get nervous too about, you know, they don't want the patients to be mad at them and they don't want to lose a client and they don't want to have them post a bad review. But I can tell you that they're going to post bad things if you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And right. that more often than not, when you act confidently and get them support and, and hold their hand and walk them through the process and educate them, that they're going to be thankful in the end. Um, and uh, certainly the patient outcome is the most important thing if this is to happen. So um, to really sort of, you kind of, sometimes you need to eat crow a little bit and, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, really do what's best for the patient. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I'll knock on wood or my head, I guess. Um, I haven't had to go through this yet with a patient of my own, but I know Ditto. it's coming yeah. because I, I've yeah. been injecting forever. So eventually yeah. this will happen to all of us. Nobody is safe from this, but really the only way that you can mess this up, the only way that you can really hurt somebody, right? Like patients, your license, all that is by not being prepared. So yep. act like it's around the corner because you really yep. don't know. And, yep. you know, plan accordingly if you're going away, get yourself a supportive medical director. Um, please do not have one who wouldn't know what to do in this type of situation or wouldn't know how to support you. Um, and just make sure that you're okay with talking about it because there's no shame in this. It happens and there's absolutely shame in I didn't know what to do about it or I, I made it someone else's problem. Absolutely. So, don't send them to the ER because the ER is not going to have the Hylonex and or know what to do. So don't do that. We've definitely heard of stories where that's happened. But uh, yeah. 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 All right. I well, think Brett, that's it. We I did so great. It. Yes. Heather, I miss you. Good to I see you. I miss you too. I hope I to see you, you soon in this life. I know. Um, well. All right, you guys. Well, we'll hopefully save this now correctly. And I it'll don't know how to do that. For... Don't for that I, I lost it i'm gonna time. have mk's gonna help me okay. i don't know how either but we're gonna do it so that you guys can refer back if you need bye everyone thank you bye bye everybody good night